I probably didn't do it the right way. You know, my lawyer said to me, are you stupid to share these things with your people? But I spent probably a good three months arriving at work in tears every day. And your people see this and they feel it and they know that their leadership is crumbling. Kay Shaitanov is the founder and owner of 3RC, an edutainment and training company that she has been operating for 21 years. What started out as a career in IT and hopeful rock star evolved into a business helping kids figure out their future. Over the past 21 years, Kay's business has grown and shrunk multiple times. She has survived corporate partnerships going under. She has survived retrenchments and most recently the global COVID pandemic, which surprisingly has helped jettison her company into the future of edutainment for teenagers. Kay's story is one of grit and determination, of learning fast and failing even faster. And I can't wait for you to hear from her. So I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. So remember, it's not over till it's over. Welcome back to It's Not Over. I'm your host, Nick Haralambas. As you know by now, I am sitting today with Kay Chetanov, who has been running a business for a immense 21 years, which is maybe older than some of the people listening to this podcast right now. So Kay, welcome. Thank you for joining me. How are you? Thank you so much, Nick. I'm good today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know that feeling. Okay, so let's dive right in and tell me a little bit about your business, which I believe right now is called 3RC. I knew it many, many years ago as Three Ring Circle when you and I, you reminded me you have met. So tell me a bit about the business, why you started it 21 years ago and anything else that you think might be pertinent to the conversation today. So 21 years ago, I was in corporate, in IT and design, and I loved what I was doing. I did really well, climbed my way up the the corporate ladder, but I had a passion for music, always had, you know, grew up in a family that we all sang, and I just wanted to step out and do my music. So I did that. I tried touring the country many, many times over with bands. And had to sing in front of many drunk and high people. And kind of got to a point where I thought, there must be more to this. There must be a way for me to get my message out to people that were not drunk and high at the time that I was singing to them. And so I thought of this idea that I could get to schools, right? I could go and share my wise words at the tender age of 23 at the time with young people to tell them they can go and follow their dream. And so I had this idea that I wanted to go and sing at schools, phoned a few headmasters, told them what I wanted to do. And they just went, nope. And I was like, okay. They said, bring us value and we will relook the idea. And I remember I was driving in my car and I was listening to 5FM at the time. And there was a ad in for the Computer Zone College. And in that moment, the aha moment hit. And I was like, if I can bring these people on board with me to go and speak to the kids about what they want to go and study after school. And I still get time to sing to the kids. Then ha, we have a show. So that's how it started. And at that time, my then husband said, this is a great idea. Let's push it. We can push, you know, you as a, as a performer or singer, and he will then run the roadshow as in be the MC for it. Our first year arrived, we did 45 schools and we had four colleges on board at the time, living from hand to mouth. I'm telling you, I can still remember the very first check and it was a check in those days that we got from a college and we deposited and we were like, we are rich. 
<laughs> I mean, it's worth stopping there and saying, for those of you who don't know what a check is, it's a piece of paper where you wrote the amount of money you wanted to pay someone on. They took that piece of paper to a bank and the bank in exchange for that piece of paper deposited money into their account. That yes. is what a check was. I have personally actually never owned or written a check. So there you go. Oh my God, you're making me feel so old. That is how it started. And it was purely driven by absolute passion. I needed to get my music out to the kids. It worked. I recorded an album. My single got number two on 5FM. And I thought I was flying the high life. You know, life was amazing. And then I realized what I was after and the fame and what I thought fortune would be was not what I wanted at all. I fell pregnant with my son and suddenly there was this need for me to leave more behind than just songs. So my passion then went more into the, what am I leaving behind? What am I telling these kids? You know, it's all nice to stand on stage and you can follow your dream. You can be whatever you want to be, but is that realistic? Is that truly what I wanted to say to them? And in that process, obviously the roadshow grew. It was called the Rocking Future Career Expo is still today, 21 years later. Mm. And we started concentrating more on what it was, the value that we were putting into the lives of these kids. And it went from a half an hour of my performance to maybe one song. And then turned into how can we get other musicians or other people that can share their story in front of these kids. Fast forward a few years, we now have, let's say, 10 colleges involved. I sing two songs. But when you're working in your business, and not for your business, it's very, very difficult to see past the blocks and the hindrance. And in my head, there was this, this limit. We can only do that many schools because that's the, the amount of schools that I could do. You know, you can only perform that many times and you can only put up that much time when you're touring with a little baby. And just on that, sorry, you were actually touring with your baby. So yes, you didn't kind of take much time off, right? You just... Baby, I'm back. Let's go get on stage, rock some songs and change some lives. Absolutely. I was performing a week before I gave birth to him. I was performing. And about three weeks after his birth, we did Bloemfontein. Wow. You see, I'm glad I highlighted that because to you, that's like, oh, yeah, that was just Tuesday. To me, like I would have taken seven months and been like, screw everybody. I'm out. So I'm like, it's it's quite a thing. And at, at a relatively young age, I mean, how old were you when you had your first kid? 27. Yeah. So, I mean, that's crazy. And you said that you started on this at 23. So you were about four years into this, give or yeah. take. Okay. So at 23, 24, I did the whole band thing, touring around. Yeah. And we started the company and signed papers in 2001. Wow. Um, which cool. I was 26 at the time. So yeah. wow. it's a lot of responsibility to, to take on at that age. New um, business, new baby, new everything. Yeah, I had a nanny that toured with us and she would literally sit on stage with my baby in the carry cot. I would sing, walk off stage and then go feed him. That was normal. That was what we did. That's wild. <laughs> so fast forward a few years, my baby was about three maybe, and we started seeing real growth in the road show. So when I say real growth, we could now do 100 shows a year, right? And we expanded into Durban and Cape Town and maybe a few shows in PE. But yet we were living from hand to mouth. If you think that, mm. you know, 
the amount that you need to tour, to have a car, to have a nanny, all of those kind of things was literally just whatever we had, that's what we lived off. And it was only later on when I took over the company myself completely that I realized that we very much used the company account as our private account because that was all the money that we got, right? And there are big traps where that is concerned, not to mention tax traps that, that when you in a young business, so you don't think of these things, you know, it's like, whatever, you know. And you're not, I mean, you never might not think of them. You don't even know that you should think of them. Like yes. who, when, when you were trying to be a rock star, who was like, hold on, Kay, have you thought about your tax? No one, nobody at school, nobody in college, nobody tells you how to prepare for tax. It's horrific. So yeah, when that first tax bill arrived, sure, that was a hard pull to swallow. So we then started seeing value in what it is that we were giving to the, not just the learners, but also to our clients. They started seeing that this was a different way of doing a career expo at schools. It was fun. It was vibrant. It was full of energy. The kids loved it. The teachers loved it because now they didn't have to arrange it themselves, right? We just arrived. Everything was arranged for them. We had a wonderful service to the schools, a great service to the colleges and tertiary institutions. And we thought maybe if we start branching out to bigger branches or bigger brands that would also like to speak to those kids, that they could be a sponsor to the show. So we started putting feelers out. And our first one that hit was in 2005, and it was F&B. And we were over the moon. You can imagine. We are now talking about money that we have never seen in the, in the few years that we've been going. And it was like, we've hit the jackpot. You know? this, is, this is massive. But in that, you make the mistake of going, well, this is always going to be this way, right? It's just, you know, everybody would always love what we do. And it's never going to change. And we had three really good years running with F&B. We made amazing friends with the marketing department to the point we would have brides and stuff together. But I remember the day that they called us in. We were going in with like a full proposal. We are renewing the sponsorship. Everything's going to be amazing. They can never say no to us. And we sat down and the marketing manager looked at us and just went, I'm sorry. And my heart just dropped. And I was like, what now? And you know, when you're so young in your business, you have pretty much in your head, if not anywhere else, spent that money already. Yeah. You know, you have put the brand together for the next year. You have hired the people that's going to go out. And now suddenly, pretty much half of your income that you've now had for the last three years, gone. Yeah. And let's pause now at this point, and I want to ask you a few questions. How big is the business? Because you've had three years with them. You've scaled. You're doing more than 100 shows or 100 plus. So how, how much turnover? How many people do you employ? How many schools are you hitting? Like, Give us some numbers to have some context on what losing F&B actually meant. Okay, so we were sitting on about two and a half mil turnover. For us, that was massive. We were employing about three people at the time, mm -hmm. and we were doing about 150 schools. Hey folks, Nick here, and I'm interrupting this fascinating conversation, and I know that that can be irritating, but I wanted to ask you to do me a small favor that will help me in a huge way. Please, right now, stop and go and subscribe to It's Not Over wherever you are listening, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, or YouTube. Then leave a rating and review and turn on notifications. Every subscriber and every rating helps me keep this podcast trucking along. Now, back to the knowledge bombs.
Wow. So, I mean, that is a lot. And are you still primarily the one performing or have you scaled your team? So you were doing basically one show every two and a half days. Or one show a day. Oh, yeah, of course, discounting the weekends. That is mental. And sometimes two shows a day, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that happened and it was a massive hit. At that stage, it was myself, my ex-husband and his sister. We were in a partnership together in 3RC. And we were just looking at each other going, what are we going to do? How are we handling this? So our first step was we obviously started sending proposals out and now it's late in the year, right? We start January to May every year because that's where we get the trick time with the schools. And I think this handled, this happened around about end of September. We have three months to get a new sponsor and we are panicking. So we started putting out feelers and we happened to meet a person that was part of the marketing team for the Opal group at that time. And I phoned him and I said to him, Herman, I need help. What do you think? Do you think that Opal would be interested to give a little car away to a metric student? And he was like, yeah, that sounds like a plan. Put a proposal together for them and Opal Group took it. So the extreme panic kind of subsided and we were like, oh, we are good again. Here we go. Opal was with us for two years. And it's amazing how you forget that lesson when the money keeps on rolling in. You know, they're happy. They're never going to get rid of us. Everything's going to be amazing. And we had a two-year run with them, and it happened again. And in that moment, at that stage, Greg stepped out of the business. He had other interests that he needed to take care of. And it was with myself and Tanya that was remaining in this group. And we were like, here we are again. What are we going to do? And we decided, okay, well, what we can do is to offer more to our current clients. If we just scale what we're currently doing and we somehow manage to double it, then will we get the income back that we've lost? So now we've taken our eye off the ball when it comes to to sponsorship. Like there must be a different way for us to to gather more money and and add more value to the clients that we already had on board. So now we're sitting at about maybe 12, 15 clients. I just want to unpack that. When you say clients, the sponsors were adding cream onto your income streams, but were the schools paying you or the universities paying you? Who is paying you to do this business? So it's completely free of charge to the schools. Okay. But our clients, which are the tertiary institutions, the likes of your Boston, your PC training, your Richfield, all of those guys are now on board to see these kids. So they buy a slot to be at the school. Got it. And in that moment, we went, okay, what we need to do here is we need to invest in a second team because we've always just run one team. Right? We know what it, what it costs and what it, what it takes to run one team. So we doubled up. And in that moment, we could suddenly do 250 schools. And that opened up so many more clients because now we can go into different regions. We can still cover, you know, the same from January through to the end of May. And that opened up a massive scope for us. And we looked at the numbers and we're like, yeah, this could work. But in the background, I was going, we must sign somebody again. We must sign somebody again. And here was the next mistake I made. So we approached yet another bank. We approached Standard Bank. They loved the concept. Now they had more schools. They had 
bigger reach to these learners. They want to make sure that these kids can apply for study loans, apply for new accounts. So it's a win-win situation for them, but they go, we want it, but we want it to be called the Standard Bank Rocking Future Roadshow. And being in the situation that we were in and wanting so desperately to expand, I was like, oh, okay, let's do it. It's not unheard of, right? There's so many versions of that where it's like the O2 stadium or the Virgin this and the whatever that. Branding rights are very common. So I I wouldn't feel like that was a shocking thing for you to do. And I imagine at the time you didn't either. You were like, yeah, they're going to pay for this. So why not? And I think what happened at the time is I was like, I'm I'm so grateful that they want to have this, you know, not knowing the implication of when that then stops your name doesn't belong to you anymore. And so you need to take all of that time and effort and money to rebuild your brand Mm. because now it's not Standard Bank anymore. Mm. But we had a good run with them. We also had three years with them. And when that then stopped and that ended was my next big aha moment. By that time, Tanya also stepped out of the business. She started a, a video production company and I was left alone. And suddenly I had to make all of these big decisions by myself. And it was daunting, but also liberating because yeah. now this was me. I I had to roll. So before you push forward into the next big leap, and I think it's a good break now, you are the CEO at the business at this point. So I want to jump back. So the first thing I want to observe is you don't give yourself enough credit that when you started this business, you had an idea, you phoned some headmasters, they gave you some customer feedback, and then you actually iterated your product. That's quite a thing for a 23-year-old who's or 25-year-old who's never built a business, who's never spoken to customers, who's not traditionally trained in the corporate or the business world to go, I've got a customer, I'm going to contact them, I'm going to get validation, and then they're going to say no, and then you change, and then it works. Like, what made you do that? Like most people have an idea and then delay 20 years and then never do anything. You had the idea, contacted your customer, got feedback, built a new product and then relaunched. Sure. When you put it that way, Nick, I've, I've never thought of why I did that. I think it was more a, a desperate need not to continue doing what I was doing. Okay. You know, I was so desperately unhappy having to spend my life in pubs and clubs and sitting for hours doing, I don't know if you've ever been involved in the music industry or even watched somebody do this, but you spend so much time just wasted. You you set up and you do sound check and then you sit and you wait and then like 10 people arrive. And one of my moments that stick in my head so terribly that gives me nightmares to this day is we did a gig at this little place in Durban, little hole, And there was a guy that arrived at the door to pay his entrance fee. And he took the 10 rand out of his shoe and handed it to me. And I was like, just walk in. So I was so desperate to get out of that, that I don't know, call it magic, call it God's intervention, call it whatever the hell you want to, but I needed to make a change. And I wasn't prepared to go back into the corporate world. Nice. So I have a dirty little secret that I actually know this feeling intimately. I was in a band for a few years and we also did the play gigs around the country and booked a show in Joburg 
that we did not market. For whatever reason, we just thought the club is going to promote this. Why would we as the band have to promote this? And it was a club in the center of Joburg, and we rocked up on a Saturday night at 9 p.m., and nobody was there. There was the sound engineer. He was the only person present, and we just got up and played to him. And that was it, five songs, and then went away and made sure that we marketed our, our next gig. The next thing I want to ask about, because I think you gleaned over it like it was an easy thing to do, but you signed a bank as a sponsor. How, how exactly did you do that? Because I can tell you now, lots of people pitch lots of corporates and never get anywhere. So how did you find the right person? How did you get a pitch that was any good? And how did you get them to part with money? Like that's an important and interesting thing for your first sponsor. I think what we did at the time was realize the value that we had and the access to who they wanted to see. And that was the pitch. And I went in there pitching like I would do on stage. So <laughs> I took over stage personality and I said to them, this is what we do. We create an environment that is in, you know, inducive of amazing communication and the kids are open and they want to hear from you and that you are being associated with something that's cool and fun and all of those, you know, buzzwords at that time the bank went because banks are boring the bank went hey this chickadee might have the in to yeah. us and i think that's how it happened also i think our costing was so incredibly low for us it was like oh my god so <laughs> yes. much money. but i think yes. our costing was so incredibly low that they probably looked at it and went well you know we can chuck it at, at it and see if it sticks yeah. And then it did. It stuck for three years. And again, the observation is whether you externally or internally under, uh, realize this, you understand your customer intimately. And at the time, you were understanding both your customers. One, that you were talking to students and giving them value. And two, that the bank needed students. They wanted students. And I think it's maybe an undervalued skill that you might have that you just intrinsically know who you're talking to and what they want. And what the bank wanted was young minds to influence and you had them. So it was a good match. If you had gone into the bank and pitched them, we'll make you your own song and we'll brand the stage. They'd be like, we don't give a shit about that. We want to talk to young kids. Yeah. So again, like the observation is for any entrepreneurs who are struggling, maybe you're talking about the wrong customer or the wrong problem. And you had like molded this customer and problem so well together that they were like, yeah, obviously we'll give you the money that you want and let's see if it sticks. Like, that's great. I love that. Cool. Yeah, um, like intrinsically, it, it, it does, it does feel that way. You know, and people go 21 years, how have you done it? I honestly still feel like I'm just, grafting on a daily basis it's yeah it just comes naturally when the time calls we just go with the flow i'm, yeah. I'm a gut person i work on gut the way i hire the way i do my business the way i pitch things i'm not educated in business not at all you know the the highest qualification i've ever had in my life was a secretarial diploma that's it the rest wow. just flowed 
So that actually was going to be one of my questions later on is what kind of training? And maybe that's a good segue into the next part of your story where you take the lead, take control, become the CEO. I imagine you're about 30 when you, you hit your own control of the business. And now imposter syndrome must be a really big part of your life because you've never been educated formally as a business person. You've only ever run your own business. You're a musician and now you're on your own. Like how, how does one deal with all of these avalanche of feelings and emotions and information coming at you without formal training? Well, honestly, I think at that stage, it was also a lot of personal things that happened that made me need to step up. So I got divorced from my first husband at that time, at 29. And being divided from him, that was very much a... He's not a stable character, <laughs> but he was a stabilizing influence on me. He was a very positive influence when it came to reassuring me that what we were doing is great and what I was doing was amazing. And so he was that for me. And mm. when we split up, that voice was missing. And it was very important, I realized later on, that I needed to have that voice to go, I believe in you, so they'll be stupid not to believe in you. So I, 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 I do want to interrupt on that because that is such an interesting topic for me that you're, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm quite interested in this idea of where we gather our self-worth from at the moment. Like I'm, I'm debating this a lot in my own head and more often than not, entrepreneurs get their self-worth from external validation. You know, you, you have a lot of sales, you hire a lot of people, you get a big office, you are very profitable, you buy another company. And in your case, at that time in your life, it sounds like your ex-husband was helping you with your self-value, your ego, your motivation to stand up and be that person. When he left, what did you fill that gap with? Like, who was that person? Or did you learn how to be that for yourself? Well, I think it became very lonely. And for somebody that is a sharer, sometimes oversharer, to not have that bouncing board, because now not only he was gone, but also my sister-in-law at the time was gone doing her own thing. And not to be able to go, hey, I've got this idea, what do you think? Or do you think we should do this? Became very lonely for me. So I surrounded myself at the time with staff, lots of staff. And I just kept on employing people, you know, how get people for the jobs, not jobs for the people. Because I needed to bounce. I needed to get more people. And the more people I could have, the more we could do, right? So uh, we created one show after the other. And now we can go to townships. And now we can go to the outlying areas of South Africa. And it's just, it's going to be fantastic. And I didn't have the managerial skills to not become the HR agent rather than the CEO. Mm. I spent most of my time during those three years dealing with people's issues rather than working on my company. And that caused me to come very, very close to closing the door. And was that because you were hiring more than you were earning? So you just had more overheads than your income was justifying? Or did your dealing with all these people distract you from the ball, actually? Distract me from the ball. 
Absolutely. Okay. So financially, the business was still pretty solid. You had the right amount of people for the right amount of work, but you just weren't focused on building this business. I wasn't focused on building it. And then if you're not building and you're not expanding, sooner or later, the money is going to run out. Mm, especially if and you keep hiring. Yes. Yes. So, you know, there's a problem. Okay, hire somebody else to do it. There's a problem. Hire somebody else to do it. In the meantime, there's only so much money going around. Mm. And I had to sit down. This was sure, 2016. And I had to take a hard, long look. And I was like, this is not going to work. If we carry on like this for another six months, I'm closing the doors. Mm. And I had to retrench a, a buttload of my people. And How many? And a big number. 10 or 20 or 50 or 100? 25. Wow, yeah, that's that's a lot of people. And did they have any clue that it was coming? They did. There okay. was being me and being the oversharer, I probably didn't do it the right way. You know, my lawyer said to me, Are you stupid to share these things with your people? But you know, I spent probably a good three months arriving at work in tears every day. And your people see this and they feel it and they know that their leadership is crumbling. And the amount of anti-anxiety tablets that I took at the time probably didn't help either. So I was either completely obliterated or not feeling anything. Wow. So, yeah. Okay. So you did the retrenchments. You stabilized the ship. At this time, the business model is the same. You've got the expo that's pumping. You're doing school tours. The universities are, or the tertiary education is paying you to get them in front of more people. So the actual business structurally is sound. You just needed to bring it back down to a manageable size so that it was profitable for a while. And I imagine that's what you did. That's what I did. And it worked. It worked well. I stepped back into managerial position. I took care of all the hiring um, for the roadshow itself. You know, for a long time, I would just go to my managers. You get the people that go on the road. I didn't even look at them. I was just like, wow. yeah, well, you know, you're young, you're vibrant. You look like you could do it. Cool. They say you're doing it fine. And I, I was so distracted and so far away from the actual core of why I built the business and the message I wanted to give that I stopped caring who was going on to the roadshow. And that is my main connection with these kids. If I send somebody out there that is not wholesome and is found in clubs on Fridays and Saturday nights together with matric students that they were just seeing at the school, these are issues for my yeah. business. And I, I went, oh, it's somebody else's problem. Let them deal with it. So when I took the reins back and I stabilized the ship, we went back down to six employees, tiny, tiny team. Mm. And I worked those six people and nothing was too much to ask because I kept the ones that I believed was behind me for the dream of the company. So we worked hard and we stabilized it. We kept having our two teams going out. We scratched all the other roadshows and all the other projects that we were involved with. And we just concentrated on the Rocking Future Career Expo. And that's all I did for the next, what, 2016 up to 2020. Wow. That's, that's interesting. So what I want to ask you about that period where you were distracted is if you weren't focused on your core product, because that's what it was, right? Your core product that you innovated, you put in front of schools, you developed, you were running them, you were actually on stage. What were you working on if that wasn't your focus? I became the HR 
and the company. And if you had gone back, would you have hired an HR person or not hired 31 people? I would not have hired 31 people because in the process of hiring them, I was basically duplicating the show concept of what we had into different markets, but not seeing that the markets that I was trying to target did not have the value of what I already had. Interesting. And the observation from the outside is your intrinsic customer focus changed. It changed you as a human. It changed from Kay knows her customer and her product and they both fit to Kay knows her staff and her product doesn't matter. Just go put it out there. Go just put it on stage. And that's a really interesting observation for anyone building a business is your customer ultimately decides whether they pay you or not. And if the product isn't good enough, things are going to break. Yeah. There's that very interesting saying, if you build it, they'll come. They don't come. (laughs) They don't. I've learned that in so many businesses. If you build it, they will not come. They have to find you and like you and pay pay for you. Like if they don't pay, they're not a customer. Yeah, that's really interesting. So now the business is stable. There's six people. takes you all the way up to 2019. And then... We have a little, a little global pandemic that kicks in that I'm, I'm pretty sure you have some pretty wild things to tell us about. Yeah, so 2019 was a f- phenomenal year for us. We showed fabulous profit. Things were going well. We are now up to 24 institutions at every school. Hmm. Remember, we started wow. this fall. We are now yeah. 24. The hall is packed. The kids are loving it. The teachers are raving about it. We, we can't keep up with the amount of bookings that we do. 2020 arrives. We've got all the plans laid out for the year. We work hard. We do two shows every day. We've got two teams running. So come March of the year, we've already completed half of our shows, which is 130 schools, hmm. right? We do one show early in the morning between 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock, and then we pack up and we go to the next school from 12 o'clock to 2 o'clock. And this is what we do every day. And the 19th of March arrives and we get the first, like, something is coming and the schools start phoning us to say, we have to cancel. And we're like, but we have a contract with you and Mm. all of these people that have paid us is requiring us to come to your school when they just like, sorry, you can't come. And of course, then the president had our first family meeting and we heard about, okay, we've for two weeks, two weeks, we're going to stop this thing in its tracks and everything is going to be amazing. And we're like, okay, for two weeks, we can shift around those schools. Maybe we can push it into June and we're going to be okay. And then the two weeks became a month and the month became six and, and. So when all of this goes down, the only thing I'm thinking is, All of these tertiary institutions have paid me to deliver a certain amount of schools to see plus minus, we see plus minus 35,000 matric students in a year. We've now delivered half. And and let's be honest, at least you've delivered half. Like at the very worst case, you can claim half of that income, like worst, worst case. But understandably, that last half is probably where your profit is. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, people around me are going, it's okay, you covered in your contract, it says acts of God, and it covers pandemics, and it's all of those things. And I'm like, that doesn't matter. It's my name. Mm. It is what I promise. And if I can't deliver what I promise, these people will never trust me again. 
you know. Yeah, and at the time, we didn't really know that it was actually as globally impacted as as it was. We thought, oh well, it's just my business that's going to suffer, and they're never mm-hmm. going to come back to me. Never mind that every office was going to close down. So it is still a very real and visceral thing. Come Mar- the end of March, twenty twenty, like you still think the bottom of everything has dropped out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we started and I had a, <laughs> a Zoom meeting with my internal staff and my internal staff are two booking agents that work on different regions. My production manager, that is also like one of my very best friends and a data entry lady that sits in my office. That's what we had during that time. So we had the Zoom meeting and I'm like, what are we going to do? So as part of our roadshow that we take to the schools, we introduce all of our institutions by means of either a verbal introduction or a video introduction. So if you can imagine you at school, you come into the hall, all of these exhibitors are in a, in a, like a U-shape around the stage. On the stage is a big two by three screen. And as we are introducing these different institutions, for instance, this is AAA, let's see what they do. On the big screen comes up a video. It's about a minute long. And then that person then takes the mic and they introduce the institution. So our first iteration of what happened was let's take all of those video clips, get our MCs to do like WhatsApp calls that would introduce the clients. And we made this video, this hour 10 video, right? Mm. That was placed on YouTube. And we said to the schools, we know that you're doing things online. We communicated with all the all of the teachers that are already booked. We're not, not going to see you, but we need you to please make sure that the learners complete this information form to say which colleges they are interested in to see or to get more information about. And they can go and watch all of the introductions on this YouTube clip. Mm. So that was our first iteration going, I hope we can deliver. Thank God, or the forces out there, we got enough data in from the different schools that we were still supposed to see to validate what the colleges and universities paid us. And they were very happy because it ended up that we were the only company that still delivered. That delivered. Wow, that's epic. And now you've retained those clients, I can only imagine, because you did above and beyond in the most difficult time in our generation. Yeah. So that's what we delivered in 2020. Then came 2021 and I looked at what we had and I thought, you know, what would be really cool if we can have something that no matter what happens next year, because nobody knew what was happening for 2021. It was just like up in the air. Hmm. If we can have an online career expo that the kids can go to a little stand, the stand will have their brochure on it. It will have a video that they can watch, a direct email that they can contact these colleges maybe a video of their alumni to talk to, that kind of thing. And I contacted a company that I had kept in mind for a very long time, an amazing man called Dave Nemeth from Trend Forward. And I've been watching the things that they've been doing and putting out in, in in the ether. And I was like, Dave, I need you to help me. And he was like, what do you have in mind? And I said, could we put something like this together? We don't know if Live X has Expos will happen next year. If it doesn't, I need a backup plan for my business to keep on going ahead. I now know that if I contact the schools, if I contact the teacher and say, we have something for you, it might not be the live show, but this is something that you can present to your kids. 
And he's like, cool, I'm on board. And we started that process. So we delivered in 2021. Also, like people look at it now going, you delivered what? We delivered the first 2D career expo in the world. Ah, of course. That's genius. So 2021 actually turned out to be a really cool year for us because we managed to do some of the live shows that we usually do. And if we couldn't do a live show or the teacher phoned in an absolute panic going, we've got cases in the school, you can't come. We just go, relax. We all send you a marketing box that has all of the information for all of, all of our different clients inside, plus posters for your class, all of those kind of things. Please get the kids onto the site, let them register so that we can send them the information that they need. And it became a dual offering. Amazing. And I mean, in my head, immediately, that makes me think it's a more profitable product for you to send out because you're not doing the travel, the setup, the staging, the whatever. And then it triggers the thought in my head that surely this has unlocked a more global revenue model for you. Absolutely. So that was 2021. That's and amazing. 2022 came around or well, halfway through 2021. I looked at what we had and people started making noises about the metaverse. Mm -hmm. and what the metaverse was and is this the next thing to go and and you know will businesses catch on to this and once again i spoke to dave and i said can we do this 3d can we actually have a 3d expo that a kid can walk through with vr glasses mm. and he looked at me and said i can check and we did so oh. we launched swivel.com which we then came up with a separate entity and a separate product away from the Rocking Future Career Expo to be global, to reach all the kids in South Africa and abroad, to reach more clients both here and internationally, to have a 3D expo that once again the learners register and they can go and find every bit of information that they want about future career options and study options. And we launched the 21st of January this year and within the first month, we had 3,000 registrations. So to anybody out there, you know what? You have to keep on changing. You have to keep on feeling what's happening around you and never go, well, we've always done it this way. Yeah. Because those yeah. are the death notes in your business. The first thing is it's incredible that out of something as brutal and as intense as COVID, you've unlocked this entirely new business and revenue model. And the lesson in that that I'm observing is, like you've said, don't shy away from the traumas. The traumas define you. They are the things that turn you into something else and make you a better version of yourself. And if you try and avoid them, you're always the same. You're not being pushed into a new space. And you are just such a great example of not avoiding that trauma. But that leads me to the question that I have. And it's a very honest question. Aren't you just fucking exhausted? Isn't it just, isn't it, don't you just feel battered and bruised? Because in 21 years, you've given me the highlights of your near-death business experiences. But I have a sense that there are probably more that are kind of spattered in between. So aren't you just exhausted? Now, as you mentioned it, so I sat with my husband, was it Saturday? I was sitting in bed drinking tea. He brought me tea. And he's like, what are we doing today? I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to sleep. And we had a whole long discussion. He's like, baby, do you need to go and see somebody? Are you depressed? And I don't know if I am, mm -hmm. but I know that I'm exhausted. I mm -hmm. feel brain numbed most of the day. 
Um, we are busy already with 2023's dates. And, you know, we are, we are there. So I'm one year ahead the whole time. And I'm already talking to, to clients and sponsors for next years. And it's just, it never stops. Never stops. And I, I sat with him yesterday. So he's, he's my, the love of my life, business coach, also a business owner, and the one that never shies away from telling me the truth. And you need that person. You know, as much as I had in my previous relationship, that rah-rah person that can, you know, lift me up, I then married a man that does not lie. And he would tell, you, tell it to me straight. So I would read something that, how do you think this sounds to speak to future clients? And he would be like, if I was your client, I would ask you these questions. Okay. And you haven't answered any of them. Mm. So I have that to ground me but yes i'm exhausted and in, from a, a business perspective how did you solve for being the sole founder sole ceo have you now expanded your executive team or do you have a coach or a mentor that you've brought in like how did you deal with it or have you just put your head down and dealt with it on your own <laughs> The last one. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. And I was going to say, maybe, maybe time to mix that up. But serious question. Have you ever considered like expanding your team executives or getting a coach or a mentor? Like, why haven't you done those things? Just because you haven't had the time or because it's something you're a bit shy of? Shy and completely fearful of okay. expanding to a point where I can't control anymore. Ah, so, you've got PTSD from that first mm -hmm. expansion. Mm. Completely. So... With everything that we do, 230 schools, 35,000 metrics that we reach, a magazine that we put out, a 3D career expo that reaches across South Africa and beyond, we still have a team, like a solid team, of six people. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. There is something to be said, Kay, for the self-awareness that you have knowing that you have this PTSD, but the next step is definitely the solving of that PTSD. Okay, so the question that I usually ask at this point in the conversation, since you've been so honest and vulnerable and shared so many interesting lessons, is what are the lessons you've taken with you from all of these experiences that you carry forward in what you do going forward? One, don't be blind to your own blind spots. Be very aware when somebody says something to you to take it in and analyze it. You don't have to believe it at first, but analyze it at least. You know, if somebody says to you that you are being too emotional or you are shying away from making big decisions because you're scared you're gonna make the same mistake again. These are things that hit hard. And I had to take on and go, okay, well, maybe they have a point. You know, if I spend most of my day crying in my office rather than dealing with my staff downstairs because I didn't know how to tell them what was going on, that was a problem. I'll never do that again. So be open, be transparent. Always look for expansion ideas to just add a little bit more value to the clients that you already have. That's a good one. I, I like that one. That's about retention, not acquisition. And it's so easy for entrepreneurs to think I need another client instead of I need to make more money from my existing client. So I love that one. Like just what value can you pile on to your existing customers? So this is something that's very personal to me. I run my company and have always run my company. Like I'm not a CEO. I'm a mentor. 
I can honestly call myself a leader because there's nothing that I won't do that my staff must do. I've done it all. You know, I've been on stage. I phone schools. I enter data. I I was in the corporate boardrooms to try and get sponsorships. I've done it all. So there's nothing that my team can go, but you don't know what that feels like because I sure as hell do. I know and I have empathy with what they go through. I have empathy with my booking agents when they go, I can't get hold of this teacher. They are just blocking me. They are just ghosting me. I know how it feels. I also have utter empathy for my clients. You know, I look, I, I force myself to look at how they see the situation. When my team arrives a little bit late and they feel confused about where they need to set up and, you know, they have to deal with a teacher before my team arrives. These things make a massive impact on how they experience that day's show. Mm. So the final thing from you is to tell people where they can find you online, follow you, chat to you and buy from you. So very easy. Everything that you need to have or know about me and the company and what we do is on www.3rc.co.za. Everything that we have is on there. That's our main site. I'm also on social media, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, Tanoff. K-A-Y, Shaitanov, C-H-E-Y-T-A-N-O-V. And then Swivel, which is our new product, which I'm excessively proud of. And next year is going to be even better. We are creating such a beautiful 3D world for next year that is going completely metaverse. I am ecstatic. So excited. That is www.swivel, S-W-I-W-E-L.com. Go and have a chat and contact me. Kate, thank you so much for being so open and vulnerable. And I'm so excited to say that for you and 3RC, it's not over. Thank you so much.